And welcome to this week's edition of An Organic Conversation, a show about food, ecology, stories from the land, recipes, nature, sustainability, interconnectedness, relationships, and life itself. Summer is here. Water is not. Or is it? Here in California, we're experiencing the worst drought on record. And many other states in the U.S. are affected as well. Usually more a topic discussed in agriculture, we wanted to talk about the effect this drought and drought in general has on our plate, directly and indirectly. Drought in California, the effect on the nation's food supply, our topic here today on An Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helbert. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. Well, you know, uh, interesting, we've been bringing up these um, these weekly banters that we've been having, right? And uh, week in review. And I saw this in the Sierra Club where they had this list of the five foods that are killing the planet. And they listed it according to the way they, the article put them is bluefin tuna, conventional farmed coffee, factory farm beef, GMO corn, and palm oil. Now, I looked at them and I went, okay, palm oil, corn, yeah, beef, yeah, bluefin tuna. But conventionally farmed coffee kind of was a surprise for me. It was a surprise for me too. And actually, as they explained why this specific food item made it onto the list, they said that coffee is a shade-grown plant. But what's happening is there it's being forced to grow in the sunlight right now. And they are using more herbicides, more pesticides, more fertilizers. And so, you know, I, I was really aware of the, the social concerns around coffee because I've done a a lot of work with fair trade. But this about how many forests are being cleared, and how they're kind of manipulating the plants natural growth in order to meet the demand, gave me a new way to look at this crop as something that is, when purchased irresponsibly, really quite harmful to our planet. And so many people are drinking coffee these days. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's just kind of like the drug of the choice. World, really. yeah, yeah, all around yeah. the world, right? Coffee let alone just the United States, but all around the world, you know. So, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I always thought shade-grown, or always in the last years when shade-grown became popular, I always thought this was an attribute that, you know, wow, this is shade-grown, so this is like extra sustainable. But shade-grown is actually the normal way of how coffee grows in nature. So we have changed that practice, and then, of course, the plant gets weaker and needs you know support and herbicides and fertilizers and all that. But when you see shade grown, well, of course, it's shade grown should be shade grown. You know, not that it's not a bad attribute, but that's actually the natural way coffee is grown. And any other way is taking it out of its normal growing environment. I was surprised to read that too. I thought for sure the dairy industry or, you know, canola, whatever, there's so many other crops that come to mind that we know have a huge environmental effect. And Palm oil, yes, true. I think in that study it says that the environmental impact or the pollution created just by palm oil production is equivalent to the entire U.S. transportation combined, meaning all cars, trucks, trains, you know, to move. So that's tremendous. I actually think this Sierra Club article is so interesting. We should have a full show on that. I think mm -hmm. going into each of those categories, um, bluefin tuna, you mentioned, Mark, yeah, overfished, but why and how and what are the alternatives? I think it would be really interesting. It would be. Well, and, you know, the, the interesting thing there is also that, like the article didn't get into the fact that the bird populations that are being decimated by mm -hmm. when they take when they ta clear those forests mm -hmm. to, grow co to grow coffee. Yeah. Yeah. So more to talk about that, um, Sierra Club 
dot uh, org, I believe, if you want to look up the five foods that are killing the planet. Um, but we should do a show about that. So stay tuned for more on that. Um, you're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helber. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. Our topic in this hour, though, is the drought, the drought in California and the drought in the rest of the nation, the effect on the nation's food supply. In this hour, with, an, with a wonderful guest, Earl Herrick from Earl's Organic Produce. What? Our weekly call-in <laughs> feature, but live with us in the studio today. But before we dive into that topic, as always, here's the update from the world of health and beauty and well-being. Here's Sitarani Paloma's holistic bite. Thank you, Helga. So I was having a conversation with our associate producer, Kristen Ponger, recently about um, turmeric as an anti-inflammatory and how people who have told me before that they're looking for natural ways to calm inflammation in the body would like turmeric recipes that are very easy because it isn't necessarily an ingredient that we cook with that often. I found a fantastic recipe on 101 Cookbooks, which is Heidi Swanson's blog. And she was talking about a recipe where she combines ground turmeric with honey to make a paste. And then she pours hot water over it and adds a little bit of lemon juice. And this is like an evening ritual. It's a great way to get turmeric into your diet. It's also a great way to slow your body down. And that prompted something that sounded so utterly delicious, I had to share it on the air. Kristen learned from an Ayurvedic practitioner about a bedtime drink that she makes that combines cinnamon and cardamom and turmeric with honey and heated coconut milk. And this just sounded like the ultimate warming and soothing and calming drink She had talked about how her Ayurvedic practitioner said this is a great way to warm your belly before you go to bed, if you happen to have a constitution where you run cold to begin with. And cinnamon is fantastic for blood sugar balance. But another thing that she learned from the Ayurvedic practitioner was that it's particularly helpful before lying down horizontally for the night to help keep your blood circulating. And then, of course, turmeric with its amazing anti-inflammatory properties. We've talked extensively about how wonderful coconut Coconut oil is for coconut milk and coconut products are for the body. We had a whole episode dedicated to coconut. So I just thought that I wanted to share this little concoction with you on the air, whether you're looking for ways to wind down after very exciting summer evenings, or if you're suffering from a little bit of a cold, or if you have inflammation in the body. This is a really simple evening ritual to make your your bedtime and nighttime more calm and soothing. So Hope you enjoy it. That's this week's Holistic Bite. <laughs> Thank you, Sita. Sweet, Mark. Literally. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I like it. And, you know, turmeric is something that, you know, I have sometimes when making curries or something like that. And as the anti-inflammatory properties, um, I've been trying to get more of that in my diet. So that sounds delightful. Doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah and I love honey. So it's not going to be really hard for me to put this into my diet. I mean, people have, you know, used warm milk or so before you go to bed, but um, yeah, it doesn't work for many people anyway, but um, this sounds way more soothing. So um, yeah, I'm going to try that too. Mm -hmm. And it keeps working. It doesn't just calm you down, but it keeps working throughout the night. Love that. Sweet. Thank you, Sita. 
Our topic in this hour is drought in California and throughout the U.S. About half of all states in the country are in somewhat affected by this year's 2013-2014 drought. And we want to talk with an expert about the effect of that on the nation's food supply. That and more when we come back right after the break. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. Mark, I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. Stay tuned for more. Spicely Organics offers more than 200 different organic spices and dried herbs to choose from. Classics like oregano and cumin, exotics like aji amarillo, and blends like tikka masala. Spicely helps nourish your body while embracing sustainable, eco-friendly, and ethical practices always. Take wellness into your own hands and creativity into your own kitchen. Spicely Organics, teas, spices, and dried herbs at your natural food store and online at Spicely.com. Are you a chef? Have a catering business or planning a party or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Our topic in this hour is drought in California, the effect on the nation's food supply. And we have our beloved Earl Herrick, the owner and founder of Earl's Organic Produce with us, an expert on all things organic produce and organic agriculture. Earl, welcome to the show. Good afternoon, everybody. Always a pleasure. So good to have you in the studio. And not on the phone, right, with you. Yeah, this is good. It's very tidy. (laughs) Life with Earl. To say small, tidy. Oh, tidy, not tight, not small. (laughs) That's right. Well, wait, you know, so... Uh, I was with my, uh, God, they're adult <laughs> kids now, and we're talking through stuff as as they become more adult, it becomes, well, fun in a different way. And I heard myself saying, life is messy. Life is messy, and that's how it is. <laughs> and so I come in here, and, you know, it's nice and tidy here. We get to take care of this real precise stuff. Yes. Well, you fill it with boxes and boxes of <laughs> produce. Earl arrives, and he's got boxes of nectarines and peaches and blueberries, and I'm like, you're Father Christmas. This is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good time of year. You know, it's like, uh, what is that? When it's six months later, you get to have Christmas again, right? Yes. Yeah, right now. That's right, <laughs> right now. Right yes. now. So let, let's jump into this drought thing. Yeah. You and I have been talking about it a bunch. And, you know, it seems like almost every year we're hearing the word about that there's drought in some part of the country, Texas or Arizona or, you know, and especially now in California, it's been probably the worst year on record, as I remember Helga saying. Yes. So how does this drought compare to other years when it comes to produce? Well, you know, as you were saying, Texas and other years, it, it always has been. You and I have had all those conversations about, yeah, it's dry in Texas here or, or it's tough in the Midwest, but and we're in a third year of drought conditions. And this is, I think Helga said earlier, the driest one on record. I was reading something the other day that they went back in some giant sequoias, 1,500 
was the last time they had something like this. Wow. 1,500. Wow. So that's out of the, you know, the gross circles of a tree. Mm-hmm. Wow. So we're talking a long time. And you do bring up a good point. It's not the drought this year. It's the it's the drought within the context of five or 10 or 20 years, right, at least. Precisely. The, that, you know, this we are already f- dealing with the effects on two years of drought conditions before here in the state and really throughout the country and many other parts. Yeah. Now another year. So, yeah. and this being the worst, but even if it wasn't, it's already awful because of the years prior, right? So the overall conditions, if you take 10-year rainfall, simply less rain fallen, is that? Well, absolutely. They're, they're accumulating less rain. There are so many dynamics, uh, population growth, urban sprawl, more and more uh, farmers, more and more demand for the food. Mm-hmm. And California grows a huge uh, proportion of the food that is used in, in the United States. You know, one way to put in perspective, so, you know, down, get it real simple, uh, no water, no food, no jobs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you and if you look at water, an example could be uh, you go out and pay four dollars a, a gallon of gas, and think if you had to go on the other side of town and that cost a hundred dollars a gallon. Mm. So that's what's going on in water in, in oh. the Central Valley. There's incredible, complicated political junior rights, senior rights to water. So somebody can be getting water right now for twenty dollars an acre foot. And really, virtually down the road, they're paying $2,000 for uh, acre foot. And that has to do with those complicated issues of which I just, you know, I can barely touch because it, it is so complicated. A lot of it has to do with rights. Somebody uh, has rights back to 1955. That's considered junior rights. And then you have to go back 100 years plus to get senior rights. So it is, it is about seniority. Wow. It, it's, and that's just one of the many, many issues. And the problem you're saying that comes out of that is somebody who spends, instead of 200 or $20, spends 2000 still has to compete with the same crop because, you know, usually yeah. soil and, and conditions, the farm next door will have most likely, or the, the farms in a 50-mile radius, will have a similar crop profile. Very true. So they bring the same stuff to the same marketplace even yeah. under completely different conditions. So drought has a direct economic hit. Yeah, and luckily, almost all growers have seen this coming because they saw the projections. They know what the last two years are, or have been doing. So they've, uh, well, they've done lots of different things, and not every farmer, as I was just saying, is affected. So it's, a, it's not a blanket statement. Mm. It's incredibly diverse. I deal with a number of stone fruit. Well, that's where I'm going to focus because that's kind of where that's a season. And some have, are having regular normal years. And mm. other, other ones are just challenge in size, uh, in uh, uh, supply. Those are the two main things. And then, of course, the expense of doing that, that business within that framework. Mm-hmm. And, and you said, yeah, drought usually is, is measured in rainfall inches, but you know, the, the urban sprawl, largest cities, a replenishing of aquifers that is not occurring, all mm-hmm. that contributes to water shortage, right? When we talk yeah. about drought, where the bigger picture is really water shortage. Yeah, and, and California, it's the, a lot of the state is desert. Um, almost all the farmland is irrigated. Uh, I talked to a grower up uh, Northern California that has a Satsuma orchard, one I've been dealing with forever, Ferreira, and he has no problem at all. Uh, and then you go down into the valley, and the east side of the valley versus the west side of the valley, one has much more uh, water than the other. And they talk about, well, can't we somehow irrigate, you know, get water from one side of the valley to the other? But it's just not that simple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lot, well, obviously, there's water wars. 
Wow. I mean, is it, we're not getting into that. I ask that specific question. I go, how is, your, how, is, how, are, how is the neighborhood handling this? They go, you know, everybody understands, and they're all in the same boat, and they're working it out. Hmm. Well, let's talk about some things that are really, really in your wheelhouse. Let's talk about the fresh fruits and vegetables, because this is obviously something that is is apparent to a lot of the people living here in California. It is also on the radar for people across the country, maybe to a lesser degree. It really depends on how involved you are with with the agricultural cycle and water issues and that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. But how is this drought affecting the supply and the prices? Because California is responsible for a good portion of the nation's fresh fruits and vegetables. Yeah, the um, well, it's it's almost day to day. Uh, what we're seeing up to now is there's less supply. The, the the product that is there is generally smaller. Lots of different reasons for that. So on the real basic level, the prices are higher, and you're not getting quite the quality that we've uh, from, we're familiar with in the past. And the further it has to get shipped, it's going to get more expensive, uh, less quality probably, because uh, closer to the source, you're going to want to keep the, the best product. Mm-hmm. So that's the real simple way is more expensive and not the quality that we're expecting. So good quality is out there, but the quantity of good quality is not quite as abundant. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. <laughs> I right. know it sounded like a tongue twister, but I think that was yeah. a really good summary. Oh, good. Yeah, it's true. The quantity of quality. And, and even that is <laughs> is they're dis- uh, most growers are discovering that as they're going out into their orchard. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not coming off an assembly line. They're walking the orchard and going... Well, yeah, it looks pretty good. We're going to have this kind of forecast. He gathers his crew, goes out the next day, and they're coming back going, there's hardly anything. Um, they're, they're experiencing this year what they're, what they're referred to as a split blossom. Uh, one of the main things contributing to that is the lack of chilling hours. So stone fruit has to have 700 to 1,000 chill hours. So that means temperatures below about 35, and it, which is accumulated during the, the winter. But on the other hand, Every hour that is over 65 degrees is taking away chill hours. Mm. So it's no simple mathematics. And also, they're not affected every year. That there's a, Like water, there's an accumulation to that. So, so with all the pressures of this year, it seems to be coming to roost. So what that means is uh, growers are going out in their orchard. They have their labor. Uh, they can't put them all to work. They come back, send half of them away. Uh, so they're having to go through an orchard four, five, six times rather than once or twice. You can the, the math is simple there. A lot more labor cost. Again, that's adding to the cost of product. You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helber. I'm Mark Bouquet. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And our topic today is drought in California and the rest of the country, the effect on the nation's food supply here in an organic conversation in this hour with Earl Herrick, the founder and owner of Earl's Organic Produce. And, you know, the interesting thing, Earl, is I've been working around the country these last several weeks, is their cherry crop was decimated in California this year, right? So, but you go, I go to Pittsburgh, I go to Seattle, I go to these all these different cities. There's California cherries. They're nine ninety nine a pound, but they're yep. Cal- organic California cherries, and they taste good. And I think that we... Because there's food in the market that you're selling people, right? Mm -hmm. That we can't quite as consumers understand what is going on on the farm and like you just described, right? It's just a high price. They're high and they're there and I want them. So I'm going to buy them if if it's within my budget. And we were talking about this earlier before you got here about how we forget 
as long as it's still there, it doesn't have quite the impact on us. I mean, the news is telling us don't wash our car or that type of thing. And I think that's the way we kind of get the drought. Mm -hmm. But on the food level, I don't think that we as consumers really get it as much as you're letting us know. You're absolutely right, Mark. Uh, generally, I think our experience is you go into a store and a portion of us may uh, may realize, oh, it's really, I thought it was going to be one ninety nine, and it's two ninety nine. Mm -hmm. But that generally... You know, we'll go to the wayside. Mm -hmm. uh, you're still going to get what you want. You may get just a little bit less, but it doesn't really hit us uh, like perhaps like a gasoline price. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, it's six dollars mm -hmm. a, a gallon. Mm -hmm. So I think, well, I think we have seen it. Of course, prices are going up all the time, mm -hmm. and that's almost always uh, a dynamic of supply and demand. And there's a lot of smaller fruit this year, right? Oh, incredible amount. Uh, one particular grower. Uh, peach as big as your fist, which is a good size peach. That's all he has when uh, June and July and August. Uh, there's hardly any of that. He's getting everything about uh, the size of a tennis ball. So mm -hmm. it's about half the size. Mm -hmm. So for him, he can get whatever amount of money for a big, uh, uh, big fruit case, right. but small uh, fruit case has about half that value. So, the, so in some ways, customers may actually be benefiting <laughs> because of oh, what's wow. happening to the grower, right? Because smaller it, it, peaches at two ninety nine, you're actually going to get more in a bag. That's very true. It's an interesting dynamic. So one way to look at it is you might be paying the same amount of money for peaches, but they're going to be smaller sized. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hmm. But same flavor, same quality. Generally speaking, but bigger fruit generally uh, is better, better flavor, better tasting. Why? Because there's more time on the tree. More time in the tree. It, it, it's at a port, at a, uh, a part of the tree that it's getting its its optimum nutrition and, mm -hmm. and value on the tree. I really liked the analogy you made with um, the way that we think about gas prices and the way that we think about food prices or don't think about food prices because one thing that I have noticed and I'm not I don't want to project that people complain about food prices but if you find yourself saying wow that's really expensive price for cherries if you could go another step and say what factors are contributing to such a high spike it may be exactly the prompt you need to better understand what the environmental landscape is for agriculture which affects you every single time you eat anything yeah, very true. The other aspect, maybe we want to get this now or later, is how it's affecting the cattle and dairy industry because uh, those animals need feed. And a lot of times it's grass. You don't, yeah. have, any, you don't have any water, you're not going to get grass. We, don't mm. want, we do want to hear about the effect. If you have seen farmers change their crops or go out of business when we come back right after the break. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Summer is here and so is the water not we're talking about the drought in California and throughout the country, the effect on the nation's food supply, that and more when we come back right after the break. Stay tuned. Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E dot com. 
Spicely Organics' emphasis has long been on the natural health benefits of organic spices, and now Spicely is excited to share more health benefits with the introduction of their hand-blended organic teas. Choose from black, green, white, mate, oolong, pu'er, and herbals blended with their signature spices like vanilla rooibos, sweet turmeric, and honey lavender. Spicely Organics, teas, spices, and dried herbs at your natural food store and online at spicely.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Bouquet. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. We're experiencing a drought here in California and in many other states, about half of all the states in the Union. Summer is here. The water, unfortunately, not for all of us. We're talking about the drought in this hour with the expert on the topic, Earl Herrick, who deals with the consequences as an all-organic wholesaler of organic produce, fruits and vegetables every day. Earl Herrick, the founder and owner of Earl's Organic Produce, with us in the studio today. So Helga, before we went to the break, you were posing kind of a a larger context of this problem. What are the long-term effects? Yes, Earl, you mentioned, you know, we're not just talking produce, we are talking agriculture as a whole. Ranchers, of course, cattle, Mm -hmm. both needs water as well as needs grass, and grass needs water. Have you, what is the effect on drought on, on agricultural producers directly other than prices and crops have you seen agricultural producers farmers or ranchers go out of business actually or changing their crops to dry farming if that's mm-hmm. even a, an economically viable option or mixing their crops up what what yeah. what, what have you noticed well i i think in a, in a in a broader stroke we're about one year away from real catastrophe now that being said there's i'm sure there's farmers out there going are you kidding it's already a catastrophe I haven't felt it with the, with the the growers I'm dealing with. What they are doing is cutting back. This was fairly foreseeable for a lot of them as the, there wasn't a snowpack, there wasn't any rain, it was not in the forecast. So they they uh, if you're dry, if you're doing a, a row crop which is fairly immediate, 60, 90, 120 days, they uh, they chose that that section over there, that quarter part of my uh, land. I'm not I'm not putting it in, in seed this year. It's it, I, I can. Say I'm going to divert what water I do have into my highest valued crop mm. that I can get a, the biggest return for. So in, out in the valley, we're talking uh, almonds is a high high valued crop. So they're perhaps they're not going to do their orchard of uh, of Valencia's this year, and there is a lot of that. And just to to really explain that, um, I would think if there's economic stress on on a farm that you would grow as much as you possibly can. But that's that formula actually in agriculture doesn't work because the inputs are so high, labor, seeds, water, uh, maintaining the field before harvest. And then you get a crop where you don't fetch the perfect price or the best price for you. And you can come actually out minus. You can come out with a loss in order to not take that risk farmers decide to land to to leave their land foul right to not farm um, yeah, th- most of their land if there's a huge risk involved if if weather for example is in the forecast yeah there's the risk player the risk takers is what it is and and they're really judging the money i have uh how much the, risk yeah, can I? the amount the amount that what's the return on this and 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 they're they're smart enough to understand that you know the the 
the domino effect is huge because you think no water, no crop, farm workers, uh, the community moves away, they take their kids out of school, the school loses the funding, teachers get laid off. And that is the, 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 the central part of a community. Because we're not talking about San Francisco, we're talking about rural farm. areas, exactly, absolutely. where, yes, absolutely, the, the, every, the economic cycle, it stays within, you know, to a yeah. large degree, within 100 miles, the farm workers get paid, they spend their, their money locally. Precisely. Once that dries out, literally... Yeah. Uh, everything is affected. The so, local corner store is affected, really. Mm-hmm. So I got a question, and this is for both of you, um, Helga and Earl, is what role does organic have to play in the conservation of water resources or proven to be more of a value when it comes to the food that we eat every day and, and how it's affected by the drought? Well, we're talking about this in, on this show almost in one way or another every in every episode. For me, organic is equaled. I'm not talking about the organic law in this moment, but about the practice of tending to the land and soil stewardship, which is one of the foundations of organic practice. And as a country, I think we have forgotten that healthy food and the the well-being of our society, even to the corner store, depends on our relationship to soil. Healthy soil has a much greater capacity to hold water, so less water runs off into into, for example, here in, in California, into the ocean, the Pacific Ocean, um, we have quite a bit of rainfall, even though it was only one foot, if you really take it on all agricultural lands throughout California, that is not insignificant. But because of other uses of water, because most of the water, 97%, I believe, runs off and doesn't infiltrate into the soil, um, where it then, if it's healthy soil, it gets slowed down as it moves to the creeks, it keeps the riparian habitats more intact there's more tree growth which protect the water further there's just as there's an economic cycle there's an environmental and ecological cycle that takes place if we don't start with healthy soil management and i think that's a a big problem especially in california well i think you you really set the the tone there because in organic farming you start with the soil and, and that is where you get that healthy soil you get that 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 thick healthy soil and that will maintain moisture much better and also the generally the the orientation is toward a simpler way of doing things there are no shortcuts so it lends itself to that well and you know a lot of times you hear people say well i buy organic because it's less pesticides or i buy organic for environmental reasons and now what i'm hearing from the conversation today is that maybe it would be good for us to start thinking about organic as in its context to water and how water is used or, or the water that is uh, we're, that we as a precious resource for us. A- absolutely. Uh, and I'm sure the gro- many of these growers are way ahead of us in that, in that aspect. Mm-hmm. And now we're, it's trickling down and now it's impacting us. You know, and also, as, as I think we all know, once you're in emergency situations, you start developing other contexts. Mm-hmm. other solutions and i think we're gonna uh, we're, we're gonna see a bunch of stuff come out of this right now perhaps that we can't imagine mm-hmm. and yeah i mean mark you're right it's all about land use in one way or another we live on the land we live off the land and we don't respect this as if we did it's kind of fascinating to me you can you know from global warming soil carbon absorption in healthy soil uh, water now, industrial ag, local communities, everything comes back to soil. If we if we don't start there, we will have drought conversations. Not that it's not based on rainfall. 
absolutely as well. But we will have this drought conversation until we change our practice, really. Mm-hmm. There's something we can't account for, with, which is nature, even though we, we are affecting water uh, weather patterns as well. But there are things we can manage, and we don't. We don't manage them mm-hmm. according to what mm-hmm. we should do. Mm-hmm. This is a really important dialogue that's happening here because I think that it's um, possibly a new or at least newer way for us as consumers to look at the conversation. And that's something that I've always appreciated about what you and your team do at Earl's Organic, which is that you have such a strong commitment to education. So because this is a much bigger issue than just we have a drought, prices are going to be affected, there's so much more contained here. Um, Can you... Actually, we want to talk about that, Earl, how you respond to the circumstances in your business, really, Mm -hmm. as fully, solely dedicated to organic fruits and vegetables when we come back. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helber. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. Our topic in this hour is drought here in California and throughout the country, the effect on the nation's food supply with Earl Herrick, the owner and founder of Earl's Organic Produce, and how that affects... His business and our plate will learn right after the break. Stay tuned. Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm C. Tarani Palomar. And with us is Earl Herrick, the owner and founder of Earl's Organic Produce, premier distributor, wholesaler of organic fruits and vegetables out of San Francisco, and really an expert on the topic of all things organic agriculture. So before we went to break, Earl, we were talking about how Earl's Organic, your company, responds to these kinds of circumstances. You have a really strong commitment to educating consumers. So what have you guys done in terms of educating consumers and businesses, as well as how have you had to, if at all, adjust your buying practices? Yeah, this is uh, something we're, st- <laughs> we're still doing. Sure. It's like learning how to breathe on the water. Uh, well, p- part of it is what, what's been a incredibly exhilarating is after 35 years in the business uh i realize i don't i don't know anything about this situ- this <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's humbling it's, huh, isn't it it is incredibly oh humbling gosh. and so uh in working with my social media uh super uh, director susan i i'm making sure that we're 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 linking as much as we can to as many websites and and uh, stories as, as we can because honestly I we can't really generate anything unique at all we we just don't have the context for it now that being said talking to growers we share that and we talk to all of our customers every day uh, there's a very small portion that we actually don't actually 
voice to voice. We have, of course, uh, emails and and uh, tech and and faxing and texting. But we we touch base with almost all of our customers, and that's what we're talking about. Customers on the on the um, store level, or customers as in partners as growers. Well, both. But I'm I'm mostly referring to at this point uh, store level because they're saying, so where's that large peach I want? And and one of the prices are com- coming down. So we we. Uh, paint the broader picture. There's no large peach, and prices won't be coming down. <laughs> That's right. How do you? But in all honesty, how do you? How do you deal with? I mean, if farmers are that affected, right? Uh-huh. How how are you affected by by even further down? I mean, the ripple extends further. You how how much can you foresee if a farmer? You just said ten minutes ago, a farmer yeah. might go to through his field, assemble his crew, and the next morning finds. There's not much at all there. Five percent of the crop is actually harvestable, mm-hmm. and then you get the call and say, "Oh, sorry, Earl. Yeah, of the five hundred boxes, I have two. And then what? You're you're <laughs> you're touching me right where I'm living. And keep your hands to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's precisely what my experience has been. So what 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 you do? You you use the the experience and, and the connections and the networking that you've had over all these years, and you talk to other growers because I have primary growers that I am aligned and loyal to, and and as you get hip very quickly. They're just not going to be able to supply me in in the way that we need. And then you get to what you can refer to as secondary growers. That doesn't mean they're any worse or anything. It's just my your relationships to them are different. So what I am finding is some growers are doing fine and some are not. But, but all of them are surviving. Like, like I said earlier, it's probably a year away. If this goes one more year, we're going to see some foreclosures. We're going to see some some major changes, other coping mechanisms evolving. So we're talking to our customers. We're, uh, that's the main thing is keeping them. So my job internally is making sure my sales force is as, as uh, knowledgeable as I am because they're on the phone talking. So it's a, it's a great internal process, a lot of interacting. Um, so it's, it's a challenge, but it's right where we live. Website is heavily populated with information that we can gather and stuff that we find from uh, talking to our, our growers. And then, of course, that website is earlsorganic.com uh, if you want to really be on the pulse of growing and what's happening in agriculture. As Sita said, California producing 40%, 50% of the human edible fruits and vegetables. That is really an amazing resource, earlsorganic.com. And also a Facebook page there. Uh, how many crops are you dealing with, Earl, oh, in, in a good summer season right now? Three or four hundred, you know, so maybe it's, more. Uh, it's, <laughs> uh, it's it's really it's really amazing. And this is an exciting time of year because every day you got another item, whether it's figs now or you got the heirloom tomatoes coming on or not. Yeah, well, we're going to see everything. They'll just be in limited supply. There'll be some higher prices. So you always have been a dancer, but you, right now you need to like have Samba. mastered the tango, <laughs> right. it sounds well, like. Well, you know, you're thinking you're doing the, the uh, jazz step, and now you're all of a sudden doing a waltz. Yeah. It's very challenging. I have some great partners that really, uh, really, and inter- talking about a dance, they lead me, and, and I get to follow. And, and then sometimes you lead, and sometimes you follow. That's why I like to dance. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I love produce. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? 
Uh, Keeps you on your toes. It's changing always. And Earl, you were saying right before we started that we were talking about these different, beautiful, different varieties of fruits that you brought in to the to the studio with you. And mm-hmm. I was saying, well, you know, I've never even heard of some of these. And you said, yeah, well, they're changing every eight to eight to t- uh, week to two weeks. Well, the way peaches, stone fruit, the varieties are developed because you only have you go through an orchard like maybe three, four times at the most, and then it's picked out. You have to have varieties that are staggered. One is coming on while the other one is uh, finishing. And even that being said, I've had growers, all of a sudden they're calling me, i got five varieties coming on right now just because of how it happened. And that, that's when you put on your dancing shoes and you really get to it. Mm-hmm. And we want to hear, of course, what's in season in just a couple minutes of what is good right now in the marketplace, what's a good deal, what is peaking with flavor. But... More generally, before we we dive into these next two, three, four weeks, what can consumers do being on the on on the consumer end? When, what's the best tip for you? Because they they will just walk in and cherries are nine ninety nine, and they didn't know two weeks before that they would be. And of course, they could change the recipe. But really, what is what's the best advice to to roll with what is? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what comes to mind, and that is being incredibly thankful for the food that we have mm. and and also adjusting, you know, really, really Be flexible. Uh, yeah, understanding what does it really mean. Now, you'll still be able to find it. You may have to go to another store. You may have to pay a dollar more a pound. You may want to adjust uh, peach versus a nectarine. It's all going to be there, just a little, little different. Which, which brings up Sita. You said uh, in the beginning of the show, uh, you know, nine ninety nine a pound cherries. People not knowing why and how. It's such a cultural or, or you know, phenomenon in the society that when we have a sniffle nose, we take anti-sniffle drugs instead of asking ourselves, right. why do I have a sniffle nose? Well, I rode my bike all through the night without a shirt on, or I have allergies, or I just ate something that I'm now, you know, responding to. Yeah. We want to just get rid of the symptom, right? If, if cherries are nine ninety nine, we'll buy something else instead of saying, "Why are they nine nine ninety nine? What is not being addressed that we could be addressing? Mm-hmm. What does it mean for the farmer?" It's not a nine ninety nine fluke where somebody thought, "Oh, we, sh- we can charge this now." It's a necessity, an economic necessity. The price is created out of a variety of circumstances that are all true and real, and sometimes really hard for agricultural producers. And then, of course. The price at the end reflects that, but it's all a symptom, right? Everything we see is a is really information, valuable mm-hmm. information. Well, and it sounds to me like I, I love your advice. One, be thankful. Two, be be flexible. But I'm also hearing buy organic. If this, <laughs> if you haven't done it yet, this yeah. is the year to start. And, yep, absolutely. And, and you know what, Earl? You as as you acknowledged and prompted with Earl is is this year. It's interesting because I, in the last two months, I've been more present with and you know you and i are as far as being <laughs> present with flavor mm-hmm. is i've just been more present to it and so it's like that that lingering flavor of a cherry like what is that right mm-hmm. and and i've been trying apricots and it's like instead of being my n- normal very particular self i've just been appreciating each for what it is yeah. uh, the the softness of the fuzz on the apricot or the color along with the flavor and the smell that it's giving and stuff like that and so it's yeah. prompted that for me this year you know i went out to dinner the other night and a dessert they had this nectarine parfait i went oh nectarine parfait had to get it mm-hmm. and of course i got it and it wasn't ripe and at first i went ah, i really missed the 
missed it. But and I realized after about two spoonfuls, I go, yeah, I mean, this particular year, it's incredibly difficult to get what you want when you want it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it was enjoyable anyway. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was really You what, created that. <laughs> well, you did. You took it for what it was. Yes. And, and, and yeah. And, yeah. I, I, I'm, I totally align with what you just said, mm-hmm. appreciating what we have. Mm-hmm. Thank stuff. you. Thank you both. Well, and that gets us to the topic of the two, three weeks right now, the update from the produce dock. And it's such a pleasure to have you live here in the studio with us, Earl. That's Earl Herrick of Earl's Organic Produce. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And the topic of the hour is drought. Here in California and throughout the country, water issues, water shortages, what is the effect of that on the nation's food supply, our topic in this hour. Here's the update from the world, from the produce dock, from the world of fresh fruits and vegetables. Mark and Earl, what's in season? So today I wanted to start our What's in Season off with a little quote by Alice Walker. She says that life is better than death. I believe, if only because it's less boring and because it has fresh peaches in it. (laughs) And I read that and I just smiled. And I'm sure, Earl, you're smiling too. It's uh, time for What's in Season. And of course, (laughs) if you've been listening, you all know that Earl's in the studio with us. So we're not calling it the market today. But the (laughs) voice of the produce market is here with us. And we are talking about something that makes life Mm. better than death, which is fresh peaches. My favorite fruit of the... But how was that one you had today? <laughs> um, I was actually pleasantly surprised, and I, I thought the combination of acid and sweetness had a really nice balance. Um, the texture was um, firm, firm enough, firm but soft enough, and the fuzz on it was just enough to send me over the top. Yeah, you know, you're right. Uh, different times of year, every month they get better. When you know the peaches are going to respond to heat. It's, it, what Fresno is probably in, in the California area is the home of, of the stone fruit world. And it regularly averages 100 uh, degrees in June and July. Well, maybe not June, but July and August for sure. And that is really what gets the sugar going, mm-hmm. gets that sweet drip off your chin, which is what we all enjoy. Mm-hmm. And when I uh, w- was coming up here today, um, uh, Mark and I were talking about bringing some stuff, and I brought a, a pal, uh, a, yeah, right, a, a, <laughs> ca- a case of nectarines and a case of peaches. And so they were harvested on Saturday, just a couple days. And, ha- and so we kept them out of the walk-in, and they ripened up just a tad. They're going to get better as, as the flesh softens, and that sugar just keeps on developing. So this is an extraordinary year we're in, and it's it's all about the topic that we've been talking about and and the different uh, uh, forces that are at work in this particular year, which is really this particular year we had no winter. And we had like a spike in, I think it was uh, December. We had a week of really cold weather. It caused some damage in some in some uh, trees. Uh, but then the rest of the winter, it had no rain and had no cold temperatures, which is what the winter is in California. Right. And without that, the trees, I think I mentioned it earlier, they need those chilling hours. And without it, it causes all sorts of complications. And they need between 700 and 1,000 hours. Uh, one of the peach growers was telling me they've been averaging under 700, which in one particular year is no big deal. But over a period of time, now 
they're starting to see the effects. You know, this, this trees get stressed, right? They can't Precisely. they can't produce what they need to produce. You yeah. know, they're yeah. Not, what they're what actually, is that? They need the dorm. Ch- they, they need dormantness. Precisely. Okay. Yeah, they they need to get dormant, just like us sleeping. If we don't sleep, we're not going to be effective. We're going to run down. We're we're going to have system failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what trees, uh, that's what's going on with trees. So what we're seeing in, in response to that this year, finally, accumulation of those, of the water in the, in the chill hour lack, lacking is small fruit, irregular ripening on the same tree. I remember call, uh, talking to one of the gentlemen in uh, February as the blossom was happening. He goes, the darndest thing. I'll send you some pictures. Half the tree is in bloom and the other half isn't. And a couple of weeks later, he said, "Now, now the other half has bloomed, and the other started starting to to, uh, to uh, create um, the fruit, and that's it's maintained that now." So he's going out, and the complication that 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 creates is it's hard for him to understand when to when to pick. Right, right. So, so he's going out losing crop because I waited too long. We're already two or three weeks ahead of schedule, mm-hmm. so he's getting more loss on the product. He's getting less product. So it's a challenging year in in that way. And the farmers don't also often have a lot of outlets for, you know, if they make that mistake, it's just a loss. Yeah, it, it is a tough deal. Uh, farmers markets are, are always great. And uh, it, wherever you are, that is uh, one of the best places to go. You get to the farmers markets, you're going to find some great deals. And uh, that, that's the thing to look for. How, so, do you, how do you pick a perfect peach? Because you were saying, if even if it's not perfect yet, that's one of those items that actually ripens on your counter. Yes. Uh, you first want to... Again, it's one of those things you got to hold it in your hand and and and, and just uh, uh, heavy for its weight. That's right, heavy for its weight, and it's just got to feel ripe. It's got to feel full. And look at the stem end, and the less green it has in the stem end, it's going to have more maturity to it. Again, there's that maturity and ripeness. So it's not going to be ripe yet, but it's going to be mature, meaning that it is the got less the green. You want brown stem ish? Yeah, brown stem. A little bit of green is fine, and. I, I think bigger fruit is better. Uh, I, I just think it's been on the tree longer. You're going to get a, a, a better chance of getting that full flavor. And it should not really give yet. I mean, if it is giving, great. It's probably ready to eat right now. Yeah, just, so put it in your fridge if you get it home. Don't leave it on your counter unless you eat it right away. Yeah, right? yeah. and I would I would also protect it. Uh, and I, and if you're going to eat it t- after you take it out of the refrigerator, you, you want to get it up to room temperature a little bit because it, it's subtle, subtle, wonderful fruit. And don't let yeah don't put it in the fridge unless it is ripe already. And the back exactly. of the fridge is colder, so you don't yep. want to keep them away from the back of the fridge. You want to keep them up in the front of the fridge, and you know in a plastic bag. Yeah, um, they will start and, and turn quickly as as your house gets warmer. Recognize how your house is. If you don't if you don't keep air conditioning on or your house tends to run warm, your fruit will turn in a day sometimes. Oh, absolutely. And manage your fruit bowl, as Earl and I have talked about for years, is manage your fruit bowl. So if you know that they're starting to turn, don't put your peaches in the fruit bowl. Keep. Or, or if you do, uh, put put that uh, natural fiber uh, linen uh, napkin uh, towel underneath it and separate it because it'll, it'll uh, absorb a little bit of moisture so it won't go moldy. Just a little um, tip there. Okay. Those are great tips. Mm-hmm. And smell your fruit. It should mm. it should be very uh, floral when you put your nose in the box today, Sita. You got what, got what it is. Pear, Intoxicating. Uh, yeah. yeah. Is there any tip for mealiness? Is that just a, a problem of the of the fruit that you that you bought, or is that something where the environment at home actually can contribute to that? Yes, both of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is it is yes because the, you know peaches come up; they are chilled to a certain extent. 
But once they once you mean they in storage in storage at Earl's place, mm-hmm. coming up on the truck and stuff, and peaches can handle that somewhat. They if they get too cold, they won't ever ripen. Killing zone. Yeah. You know, there's a place where they just won't ripen and they'll just get mealy. At a certain time of year, you know, we're talking right now, it's July 12th. Earl and I have a whole uh, way of thinking is that from now on, you don't eat your peaches as soft as you did uh, two weeks ago because you want them, there's less moisture in there and you want them, you want to eat them firmer. Otherwise, they'll just get mealy really quick. Yep, there you go. Cool. Right now, Mark. Peaches, and that same is true for nectarines, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing yep. in the overall picture. Mm-hmm. I, I love nectarines just because the the honestly the the fuzz on the peach skin gives me goosebumps. Mm. Uh-huh. Well, it's that's like, the whole idea. It's and you yeah. charcoal. Mm. You don't, you don't <laughs> like goosebumps? I'm missing out on the goosebumps, man. <laughs> yes, I do. Not those. Gentlemen, <laughs> is there? Are there any? <laughs> are there any differences in? Um, Buying white peaches versus yellow peaches? In buying them, well, they bruise much easier or perhaps they're easier to see bruised because they're uh, they're lower color, they're white. You can see that. Uh, they're very mild. They're generally, generally speaking, they're more mild in flavor. So I think they can, they can lose their ripeness quickly hmm. and just go overboard. Uh, go over, meaning that the sweetness is, is beyond that point. So I would say probably eat them less ripe than overripe, mm-hmm. if you will. But again, just try to... White over yellow. R- r- yes, white more less ripe. Now, for me, then that's this time of year anyway. You want to, So that's maybe a good time to start uh, carving them with a knife, meaning you, you cut it in half and you, and you eat it like that. Slice it, sweetie. Exactly, yeah. slicing. You know, Helga, just one Flour. little quick thing for you yes. is that you're talking about <laughs> nectarines and peaches. These species are so close that sometimes you can get a nectarine on a peach tree and you can get a peach on a nectarine tree. Oh, that's how yeah. that's how close Fun. the genes they are. Yeah, it's after hours fratinization, I think. That's what's <laughs> going on there. And that's exactly why I'm in the orchard. Okay, we're drifting off. <laughs> thank you, Earl. Thank you for thank you what's both. in season and thank you for a full hour on shedding light on the complexity of drought and the impact on our food supply and far beyond on rural communities and really the overall economic community, at least, if not the world at large. Drought in California, the effect on the nation's food supply, our topic in this hour with Earl Herrick, owner and founder of Earl's Organic Produce. Again, that website is earlsorganic.com for an up-to-date, actually by the hour almost, pulse of organic fruits and vegetables in the organic landscape. Thank you, Earl, for coming to the studio. Super pleasure to have you. Always great to be here. (laughs) Great. Mm, Thank you. Thank you. And that was this week's edition of An Organic Conversation. Thanks for listening. An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate producer, Kristen Ponger. If you miss parts of this show or for any other episode, go to iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, please follow us on facebook.com forward slash anorganicconversation. We're your hosts, Helga Helberg, Mark Mulcahy, and Sita Rani Palomar. And we'll be back right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then. Bye.